Good morning, Stonebridge. Uh, if you're watching this now, it means we had some bad weather and couldn't have church. And so I just ask that you show me a little grace uh, as this is my first time running through this message as I always practice it during the week. And I thought maybe I should just record it while I practice it uh, in case there's bad weather because there has been all week. So welcome. I, I'm just going to jump right in. So Uh, I read a devotional a few years back with our elders called While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Timothy Laniak. And he said this in this devotional. He said, The parents who tuck their children into bed with a story, a prayer, and a gentle kiss are the same parents who check the alarm system, lock the doors, and respond swiftly if the dog barks. We understand intuitively that love expresses itself in both ways. Similarly, shepherding involves our God-given stewardship in tangible expressions of nurture and protection. Today's scripture hones in on protection of the shepherds and leaders of a flock of, of God's people in a way that might make us squirm a little bit. But we all know that just as a good parent will not just nurture their kids, they'll also protect their kids. And so in the same way, elders, church leaders, and all believers must protect against false teaching and false teachers. And so a little background to this. If you missed last week, Paul is writing this letter to Titus. And Titus is a pastor and church planter that Paul left on the island of Crete. And we learned last week that Titus's job was to plant churches by raising up leaders and elders. And so he's, he's just, you know, he's raising up these leaders, these elders, to, these pastors to lead these different congregations in these different towns across the island of Crete. And this whole series is called Blueprints for God's Family because it's written to a pastor to help a local church. And so we have a lot to learn and to apply to our own church family here at Stonebridge from this. Last week, we ended off at verse 9, Titus 1, verse 9. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. And we're going to focus in on verses 10 through 16 today. But I want to back up and give you some context to verse 9. So Titus 1, verse 9, it's at the end of this section where he's addressing elders or he's addressing Titus and saying, hey, you better make sure the elders or pastors, shepherds of these flocks are like this. And so he says, lastly, in Titus 1, 9, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Elders, shepherds, pastors, all synonymous, one and the same, of these churches that Titus was planting had a twofold responsibility regarding the handling of sound teaching, the truth of God's word. One, it was to encourage sound teaching. So we're going to get into this in depth next week in Titus 2. But secondly, it's to refute those who contradict sound teaching. That's found in our passage today, Titus 1, 10 through 16. So you could say it like this. In Titus 2 next week, we're going to, we're going to focus on how, how leaders are to tuck their kids in at night to nurture and protect them. And, but today we're going to talk about how, the importance of locking the doors tight at night. 
protecting them. So Titus 1, 10 to 16. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So we're going to frame it like this. How do we spot false teaching or false teachers? How do we spot false teaching or false teachers? Well, number one, they're rebellious. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious people. Some translations say insubordinate. They, they don't listen to God's commands and they don't submit to God's authority in their lives. People and ways that are rebellious aren't always outright anti-God. They hardly, if ever, just mention God and his commands. And they hardly, if ever, mention sin. Why? Because they're rebelling against God. They, they're trying their best to keep him out of things. And they're trying their best to keep any standards by God quiet. So we're not going to talk about sin. In verse 12, it says, One of their own prophets said, Cretans are always, amongst other things, evil beasts. So Cretans didn't have a good reputation, obviously. They, they were even, even um, before, well before Paul's time, they, they didn't have a good reputation. And so Paul wisely quotes from one of Crete's own to remind Titus of their tendencies. Now certainly not all Cretans were this way all the time. This is an over-exaggeration to make a point. But one of their tendencies was to be, quote, evil beasts. Or to be rebellious, like he already said in verse 10. To just do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted to, like beasts or like animals. That's what this is talking about. There's, they, there's no authority, there's no God, there's no rules, or at least that's the way they lived. In verse 16 at the end it says they are detestable and disobedient. So this just drives home the point even more. They're disobedient. They're like rules, I don't need them. I don't care about rules. I don't, I don't want them. And God, he doesn't care how I act. I can do whatever I want. Rebellious. Now it's interesting that this is the first quality of false teaching and false teachers. Because all of us, apart from Christ, are rebellious. We're disobedient, insubordinate, godless. We, we should recognize this easily because we are so prone to this ourselves. This is all who we were before Christ. So when you hear sayings and teachings and phrases that throw off all authority and all rules, you can just immediately go, that's false. Don't just let those go by passively in your life. When you hear a phrase like, find your truth, that 
is false. Don't find your truth. That's rebelling against the truth. It's saying there's no objective truth, that truth is relative and nothing could be further from the truth. Find your truth is irrelevant because there is an absolute truth and we know it because we have the word of God. So how do we spot false teachings that are rebellious? Secondly, empty talk. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious people full of empty talk. Paul is telling Titus to watch out for people who speak smoothly, who have very captivating speech. But when you step back, you realize that they said a whole lot of nothing. There's just no substance to what they said. I'm sure you could think of someone, maybe a famous person or, or a famous speaker or actor or someone like that that you know of that you're like, oh, you're just really drawn in. Wow, wow, this is incredible. But you step back and go, wow, they really said nothing in that speech. False teachings and false teachers suck you in with a, with a great presentation. You must, but you must listen carefully for the substance of what they're saying. Is it empty talk or good, sound, biblical teaching? How much do they bring up Scripture? Or how much do they not bring up Scripture? See, Scripture is our substance. When, when you're helping others, sorry, when I'm helping other people with their preaching, they're asking me to give them some advice on their, their preaching, you know one of the first things I'm looking for is how long does it take them to get into the scripture? Because if they spend a, you know, if they spend a whole lot of time without going into the scripture, or just have a whole section of their message where they're not getting into the scripture, I'm like, hey, 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 we need to back up here. It's starting to get towards empty talk instead of good, solid, sound teaching. How else do we spot false teaching and teachers? They're deceitful. Number three. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. Now what's challenging about deception is that it's a lie presented as the truth. Then to verse 10, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, this notice it says some, right? Especially of those of the circumcision party. So not all of them were Jews who were deceiving Christians. But these people, this... This particular group is, are people who are into what I call Jesus Plus. So Jesus Plus says, yeah, you need to repent and believe in Jesus, but you also have to do this or that to be saved. So obviously, by the name Circumcision Party, they would say one of the most rampant teachings of theirs, prominent teachings of theirs, was to be, you have to be circumcised. That's how they got their name. Or they would say you have to offer animal sacrifices like you did in the Old Testament. Even though Jesus was our sacrifice for us, still got to do it. Or they would say you have to abstain from eating foods like pork. Believe in Jesus, but if you, but if you really want to be a Christian, if you actually want to be saved, you also have to do this and this and this and this. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. And Paul's helping them sniff out one of the most prevalent deceptions. He's teach, and that's the teaching that requires anything but grace through faith to be saved. Why is this such a destructive teaching? Right? Because you, you might be thinking, well, at least they're trying to obey God, right? 
Even if it's misinformed and misdirected, they're still trying to obey God, to love God. But this is so destructive because whenever it becomes about our works, it leaves us falling short of God's perfect, holy standards. Our best efforts, though, are like filthy rags, Jeremiah says. It never has been and it never will be about us and our works. It's all about Jesus and his work for us on the cross. We obey out of response to Jesus, not in order to get anything from Jesus. Maybe you grew up in a church or a home that taught Jesus plus. Believe in Jesus, but then you must do this or that or you're not a real Christian. I just invite you to be free from that. Be free from the endless list of duty and enjoy the true grace of Jesus. We're going to see next week in Titus 2, 11 through 12, teaches us that his grace is our teacher to obey. Not the other way around. It's not obedience that earns us grace. No, because of God's grace, his grace teaches us to be obedient. In verse 16 here, Coming back to Titus 1, it says they claim to know God. They claim to know God. They don't actually know God and his grace. They just say that they do. And this is usually true of the most effective false teachings and teachers. They try to convince you, we're just like you. When they're not. How do you spot false teachers, false teachings? Number four, selfish gain. Verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. We don't know exactly how they were making money off of people with their false teaching, but the point is that they were doing it for their own selfish gain, not for God's glory. We just saw in chapter 1 verse 7, one of the other qualifications was not to be greedy for money. And here we just see the exact opposite. They're doing it in order to get money. And verse 12, it says, One of their own, very own prophets said, Cretans are always lazy gluttons. What do lazy gluttons do? They consume, they consume, they consume, they take, they take, they take. It's all about what they can get out of it. Titus needed to be hyper aware of the cultural tendency to just consume. Does this sound like any culture you know? Try America right now in 2024. What do I get out of it? We need to check our own motives constantly as well. Am I approaching church or even Christ himself as a consumer? Coming to Jesus or coming to church and going, what what do I get out of it? What can I get out of it? Rather than how can I serve? No strings attached. How can I serve him? How can I serve my church family? Number five, how to spot false teachings and teachers. They're impure. Verse 15, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. Now to understand how false teachers are impure, we need to start at the end of this verse. Their mind, which is the way of their, their, their way of thinking, and their conscience, which is the inner sense of moral right and wrong. See, if both, if both the way you think and your moral compass are corrupt, nothing you do will be good or pure. 
false teachers are unbelieving, it says. They don't have the Holy Spirit's guidance. They don't have the Holy Spirit's guidance with our conscience. They don't, we don't have the, a new, they don't have the new mind of Christ. And so here's the point. False teaching is born out of corrupted, Christless minds and hearts. And eventually it'll show up in their life. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. When you think, when, when false, when you think something is false teaching, pay attention not just to what that person is teaching. Pay attention to that person's lifestyle, to their conduct. Often before we even hear false teaching, we start to see false living that's inconsistent and hypocritical. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. False teachers claim they know God, but they even, they even say the right things. But you observe their lives from all angles, and do they really know God? Now certainly, we're not talking about a sinless person. Only Jesus was that. But are they living a repentant, humble, dependent on Jesus' life? So there's how to spot false teachers. Now let's talk about how to handle false teachers. Let's say you have a false teacher or false teaching. How do you go about handling that? Well, first, silence it. Silence them or silence it. Verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. The word silence here comes with the imagery of bridling them like you would a horse with a bit and bridle in order to steer it. It's important that Paul doesn't tell Titus to kick them out of the church. Rather, he says, address their false teaching directly with them. And then after you, direct, you address it, pray and hope that they repent and use that same passion and energy for the truth. To redirect it. It says to do it immediately, swift, decisive action. It is necessary, it says. Why? Because whole households are being ruined. This could be families or it also could be church families. Often the church at that time would meet in homes. And so if they don't address it, whole groups of people are going to be deceived and led astray. Yet, this is to be done in a restorative way. Ideally, bridled and redirected, not muzzled completely. Think of a big family gathering you've been at. How does information get spread there? Well, if, you've been, if your family gatherings are any like mine, anything like mine, there's always like one or two really loud, confident people just spreading information, just saying things, right? It could be totally wrong, but it sounds accurate because they're being confident. What if they fact-check themselves, and others did as well? Imagine, your family gatherings could actually turn into an incredible resource to learn about new things. But see, the goal of silencing or bridling false teaching is to redirect them to being a sound teacher. It's restorative. Secondly, how do you handle false teaching? You silence them or redirect them, hopefully, restorative and then secondly you rebuke them or it 
Verse 13, this testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. Rebuke, it says. This means to correct them directly. It's super important for Titus to correct people within the church, within this rebellious culture in Crete, and it's super important that he was clear with them and, in, and direct. See, if someone's convincing people that Jesus isn't God, or if someone's convincing people that they can't eat sport, pork spare ribs, then they need to be corrected clearly and directly. How? It says, sharply. Titus lived in such a difficult culture in Crete that he needed to correct them sharply. There's a level of intensity that was appropriate and necessary. But before you, they start just, you, but before we start just justifying screaming at each other, because I don't believe that's what Paul had in mind, remember just a few verses earlier in verse 8, elders need to be not hot-tempered, not a bully, self-controlled. So, why are we going about this? How do we go about this? Well, it says, so that they may be sound in the faith. Again, even this sharp correction has the goal of restoration. The goal was that they would wake up and turn from what's false and embrace the truth. So you rebuke them, but it's restorative. You're trying to you're trying to help them redirect once again. So what false teaching is alive and well in the church today in 2024? Joe Carter, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, reported findings of the 2022 Ligonier Ministry State of Theology survey conducted by Lifeway Research. The survey categorized people as having evangelical beliefs if they strongly agreed with the following four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin, and only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So that's how they defined evangelical. Seems pretty clear, cut and dry. So here's what evangelicals, as they just defined them, said in this survey. Tracking with me? Almost three out of four, 73%, agree with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. False. Jesus wasn't created. He always has been and always will be. Theology is so important. That's why our women's study, called Everyone's a Theologian. Man, women, jump in that. You need that. We need this. We need good theology. Maybe more than ever. Another thing this survey found, more than half, 56%, agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. False. The body of Christ, the church, and gathering together is all over Scripture. 
And if it wasn't for this storm, if it wasn't for this bad weather right now, we'd be meeting. It's unfortunate that we're watching this elsewhere, that we're taking this in elsewhere, and it's not God's ideal. Third, more than half, 55%, believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. False. Literally, this is the personal way that God relates to us now. The, the intimate, personal work of the Holy Spirit. This is what our men's Bible study is all about this semester. Men, jump in that. More than half, 55% agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. False. No one is righteous. No, not one. More than half, 53%, disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. False. Sin is sin is sin is sin. It all deserves God's punishment. Almost half, 44%, say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. What? See, if Jesus was not God, we're not saved. His death and resurrection, his life, death and resurrection didn't count. He is fully God. He did conquer death. Here's the kicker. There was more. There was a lot more, actually, that I'm not going to take the time to share with you. False teaching is alive and well in the church today. So if you're not an elder or pastor, what's all of this have to do with you? You still have a responsibility to protect against false teaching and false teachers. If only elders and pastors are protecting against false teaching, it'll still run rampant. Reality is that elders and pastors aren't with you in your homes. And they aren't with you most of the time. And so... What, do you, what does this have to do with you? You need to protect yourself against false teaching. Your own heart and mind need constant guarding. And the best way to protect from false teaching is to fill your mind with sound teaching. Don't listen to just any teachers or preachers on the internet. I was really encouraged by one of our teenagers recently who asked me, hey, who would you recommend for me to listen to? What teachers and preachers would you recommend? And I love that. He, he just wanted to make sure that he was listening to sound teaching. You can protect against false teaching your own mind and, mind and heart by attending Bible studies, by reading and studying the Bible regularly on your own and with other people. If something sounds questionable, test it with Scripture. Quit blindly accepting anything and everything that people teach you. Protect your own heart and mind from cultural sayings that subtly just mislead us. One of them is this. It is what it is. I hear this all the time. It is what it is. And I understand that no one probably means harm by this statement. I get that. But we believe that God's fingerprints are literally on everything. That from him, through him, and to him are all things. And so if that's true, what if we just replace that? Instead of it is what it is, what if we just said, you know what? God knows what he's doing. 
God is good. I trust him. I know what he's doing. See, it, it creeps in subtly. We need not just protect our own hearts and minds, though. We need to protect our families. You're the gatekeeper keeper of what is taught in your family if you are a parent. Do you know what your kids are being taught by, by those little glowing rectangles? The phones, the iPads, the TVs. Do you know what they're being taught? Do you talk with them about truth when inevitably they're taught lies? See, they're going to hear lies. You can't shield them completely from lies. In fact, don't shield them completely from lies. Use that opportunity when they're in their home to show them how to navigate lies and counter it with truth. When a show or a movie inevitably normalizes gender confusion, talk about God's good design for making us male and female. Next, you, you can help protect your church family, even if you're not an elder or a pastor. You will probably see signs of false teaching and influence in your friend's life long before elders and pastors do. Address it. Now here's an important caveat. If you're not their shepherd or leader, okay? If you see some false teaching creeping into someone else's life and you're not their shepherd or leader or you hardly have any relationship with them at all, you just see they posted something. You, you hear something that they said in passing. If that happens to you, it's not your job to suddenly become their moral compass and to become their Holy Spirit. Even as elders, as we navigate correcting people, we're always starting with, okay, who has the closest relationship with this person? And so if you don't have one with them, that's probably not your place. Now, I know I've gone over a lot of strong warnings and hard truth today, and it's good for us. But I want to end by reading Psalm 23, just to remind you of the protection and care of the good shepherd himself, Jesus. So be encouraged and empowered by Jesus' protection and care as I read this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being our good shepherd. And I pray that you would just show us how to navigate the turbulent waters of false teaching. And that you would do that by your personal Holy Spirit's guidance. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to navigate false teaching. So give us the strength, give us the courage to not just not just care for and tuck our kids into bed and our own souls into bed, so to speak, but also to lock the doors tight. 
We need you, Lord. Give us your grace and strength in this process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.